This is Eric Walterkins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. So what are we going to talk about? Do you see this book in my hand? It is called Great Lakes Pirate, The Adventures of Roaring Dan Seavey, a pirate on Lake Michigan. It sounds interesting. I'm, I'm ready to hear more. So our character is Roaring Dan Seavey, and Dan uh, grew up in Maine, and he was already, by the time he was a kid, he was kind of a mischievous character. Uh, he got caught counterfeiting in his youth. And he also got caught counterfeiting with his sister. Right off the bat, we've got some fun stories about him and his family situation. But he ends up moving from Maine to the great state of Wisconsin, where we are. He settles in Milwaukee, where he opens up a saloon on Michigan Street. And he does that for a while. He makes some friends. He actually makes friends with the Pabst family, of all things. So he gets to know the Pabst family pretty well. And I assume everybody here knows that Pabst is a big brewing family. They make PBR. So he got to know them. And one of the things that Pabst did as a hobby was he liked to sail around. Apparently, when you get a lot of money, that's something you do. You buy a yacht and you sail around for fun. So sometimes Dan would go out on the yacht and he took a liking to it. He started boating and really, really liked it, I guess, because that's what he got to be known for later on was boating more than anything else. He had this sense of adventure where, you know, okay, I'm a counterfeiter in Maine. I'm going to move to Milwaukee. I'm going to set up shop here. He did that for a few years. And he needed more adventure. So you know what he did next? Totally different. He hears about this thing going on in Alaska called the Gold Rush. This is the 1890s. They have found gold in Alaska, and they're like, this is going to be bigger than California. We got to get people out here. Everybody's probably heard of the Klondike. That's what this is. So he goes out there to try his luck. He gets some funding from the Pabst family and a few other people, and he goes out there and he tries to make do, and he's out there for a while, not a long time, maybe a year and a half, two years. And uh, how well do you think he does? Probably not very well. Not very well. Yeah. No. And most people didn't. It really was kind of a bust because you'd go out there and equipment was expensive. Trying to get around was expensive. There weren't really roads or anything. Uh, so you were always going through the mountains, avalanches. And it was really just a very rugged place to be. There were more people, I think, who made their fortunes like in real estate and the bar industry than there was really in gold. People found gold, but it was the little boom towns that sprung up that really that's where anybody made their money. And even Dan later on, he said the only money he ever made was apparently there was a safe in one of these saloons. And the safe was so heavy, it fell through the floor of the saloon into the basement. And a guy offered him 500 bucks to, to get to get it back up <laughs> to the first floor. So he kind of makeshift, made a little crane pulley system and got the safe back up because that's the only money I made when I was in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> All the time he spent there looking for gold did not pay off. Crazy. Yep. Which I guess that is what I would expect from a gold rush. And I'm sure that California gold rush, when you think about that, probably the very much the same stories. I, I assume back. it's very repetitive. California Gold Rush had the advantage in that, like, a lot of people moved, and California became a state because of it, mm -hmm. which did not happen to Alaska. But in California, it did get a lot of people to move who ended up staying out there. But do you know anybody famous from the California Gold Rush? No. No. You know, somebody got rich off of it, but we don't know who they are. Like you said, all the equipment was so expensive and stuff like that. I assume that it, this is a situation, like many things, where it gets too big. 
And then it just becomes so expensive to even get involved with it that it's just, like you said, the people that are winning are the people that are capitalizing off the hopes and dreams of other people trying to find gold out there. Yeah, my book goes into great detail about the gold rush and the things that you'd have to do to be successful. And really, yeah, you are better off being a supplier than actually looking for the gold Mm. because the markup on things is just outrageous. Yeah. Uh, So he failed (laughs) and he comes back. He sets up shop. Sometimes he's in northern Wisconsin. Sometimes he's in the UP. Sometimes he's around Marinette. And sometimes he's in Escanaba. More often than not, he's in Escanaba. He also would spend some time in the Garden Peninsula. For those who don't know what the Garden Peninsula is, if you go to Door County and Door County comes to a point and you keep going and there's Washington Island and you Mm. keep going and there's Rock Island. Well, what you might not know is there's actually like a peninsula. It's like the mirror image of Door County on the other end. Really? Yeah. There's like two triangles touching tips. And so Garden Peninsula is like the Door County of the UP. And so he'd spend a lot of time there. And this is when he took up what job? is pirating. And pirating can mean any number of different things. I mean, if a ship has crashed, he can just sort of steal stuff off the crashed ship and then sell it. There are many, many ships that have gone down in the Great Lakes. A lot of them are still sitting there. So this was actually something you could do fairly easily. Now we're like early 1900s up to maybe the 1920s at latest. This is kind of his peak years. Lighthouses, they exist, but they're not like these huge electric light things that they are now. So there were more boats and fewer lights. Mm -hmm. You know, the cities weren't as lit up as they are now. So it was a lot easier to crash. If you got into a storm, you couldn't say, oh, well, Green Bay is over here. It's the big glowing thing in the sky. No. Mm -hmm. So a lot more ships crashing. Or, you know, he might do the normal pirate thing where he actually goes onto another ship and just sort of hijacks it. This is what he got to be most famous for. There was a ship called the Nellie Johnson. And there's a couple variations on the story. But one version of the story is that he docks next to it. He invites the crew into a bar, drinks them under the table, (laughs) and then goes out and steals the ship. And the ship is loaded up with lumber. And he sails it down to Chicago to try to sell the lumber. Well, between there and Chicago, they call the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard's like, yeah, that's not going to fly. So he ends up getting in a race with the Coast Guard. And it's really funny to me. Now, now, Eric, you actually have boating experience. Very limited, but yes, we'll go with that. But you understand how fast boats actually go. Correct, yes. And it's funny because, like, it's written up as this exciting chase in the papers. <laughs> but when you but when you actually see what the speed they're going is, it's not like they're <laughs> really flying very fast. And the bolts today, I'm sure, go considerably faster than the bolts did back in the ni- early 1900s. And I don't remember exactly the number. I don't want to misquote it, but I want to say it's like they topped out at like 12 miles an hour or something. <laughs> I mean, it's like, like this is not a chase. But they end up doing this, this chase. And some versions of the story say that there was cannonballs fired. Some say that that was just made up by the newspapers. There's some debate about that. But the chase really did happen. He did really get caught and arrested. And he had to go down to the court in Chicago where he was tried for piracy. The only man ever to be tried for piracy on the Great Lakes. 
So Dan is brought to Chicago in the courts in Chicago, and he's tried for piracy. He's the only man in the history of the United States, really, to be arrested on the charge of piracy on the Great Lakes. There have been other pirates in the ocean, but in the Great Lakes, he's the only one. He ends up getting off. He doesn't go to prison for this. And again, there's speculation. The papers at the time are full of a lot of strange stories. And some are like, oh, there was bribery. And some say, oh, one of the witnesses was too scared to show up. And I don't know what to believe. I don't know what the real story is. So, you know, I kind of lay out the different options. But whatever the case is, he ends up not getting convicted. I want to take a step back sure. to him being a pirate. So you talked about the instance where he drank a group of people under the yeah. table, yeah. went and stole their ship. When he was doing this piracy, is was he stealing ships or was it more about- A lot of times he was just stealing the cargo, but in that particular case, yeah, he stole the entire ship. Okay. So it could go either way. Yeah. Okay. I would assume that the majority of the time was probably cargo related. Yeah. Right. He's going around in a boat called the Wanderer. So usually he's just taking stuff, putting it on the Wanderer and leaving. But in this case, because it was timber, it was lumber, I'm guessing that's why he took the whole ship because it's not really convenient to move that over. These are the stories that come up again and again, some of which I don't know how reliable they are, some of which are pretty well documented, where he does get into these drinking spats and then he'll challenge people to fights. Um, There's a couple stories where like it's winter, so he asks for the strongest guy in town to come out. He draws a circle in the snow and he gets in a wrestling match with the guy. Whoever gets pushed out of the circle loses. And of course, Dan always wins. On another occasion, he actually kills a guy with a piano. Apparently, this is okay. Like the paper wrote, oh, yeah, he killed a guy with a piano. No follow-up story. <laughs> Not like, oh, the police are after him. No, that's just cool. You killed a guy. Fine. So all these weird stories. And then, yeah, there's just on and on things like this. For a while there, he's taking men and women out on cruises and the women are not the wives or girlfriends of the men. And I won't explain that further, (laughs) but again, you know what that is. Mm. So they end up getting some trouble for that. And actually pretty light. Every time he gets caught, the judge is just like, don't do that in my in my area. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to do that, whatever, but don't dock here. Dock somewhere right. else. <laughs> so he's not even seen as a bad guy. They're just like, oh, yeah, that's Dan. The guy goes around stealing things and stuff. <laughs> that's crazy. And he becomes kind of like a, like a hero and the stories get bigger and bigger as time goes on. I mean, his final days aren't that exciting. He ends up actually dying in a nursing home in Peshtigo. Like, so his final days aren't like he goes out in a gunfight. He's just some old guy in a nursing home. You talked about him going to court for this and then getting off. Mm-hmm. After he goes to court, is that the end of it or does he just no. go, pretty much go back and continue to do what he's doing? Does he ever get back in legal trouble at all or just kind of? Not as big. Like, that's the big event. He's still, yeah, he's getting scolded every so often for these little things because ship cargo will turn up missing and then they'll be like, oh, it's probably Dan. So they'll, <laughs> they'll go and they'll try to connect him to things. And like I said, the women, that comes a little bit later. So yeah, he's still getting in trouble from time to time. He's never ridden up as like this villain. Like even when the Coast Guard is chasing him, they don't be like, oh yeah, I hope the Coast Guard gets him. There's kind of like this hint where, oh, you know, screw the Coast Guard. Let, let him have his fun. Let's Crazy. It's weird and it's really strange. I am not a sailor, but the newspapers of the time, especially like in Sturgeon Bay and Escanaba, like really 
heavy uh, uh, shipping cities, things like that. The way they write about these things is just really interesting because everybody there seems to kind of know shorthand for things. They use a lot of terms that I like. I had to look up. I didn't really know for different parts of boats or different things that boats do. And so like they're always like making these little champions out of the, the local fishermen. And so like, this guy did this this week. <laughs> and and like, I don't know how much of it to believe, but that was what the papers were. They were just all these exciting stories about what was going on in Lake Michigan of all things. Well, so. and you think about it back then, I guess probably for a big part of it, those cities exist because that lake is there, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, of course, that's going to be the biggest thing they're going to talk about in the local newspaper. Yeah. So, he does different things. I mean, at one point in time, he operates a sawmill. The sawmill burns down, two people die, and then he's accused of purposely burning it to kill these two guys, which he denies, and eventually he's not held responsible for it. Have you looked into this? Do you believe that he probably wasn't responsible? Not enough evidence to really make I wouldn't say there's enough evidence one way or the other. So what happened is he had to go to a coroner's inquest. And a coroner's inquest is basically like a bunch of guys show up. They look at a dead body. The one guy they look at and they're like, oh, yeah, he burned to death. And the other guy, they're like, well, it looks like he was burning to death. But then he jumped in the lake and he ended up drowning. And they're like, it was an accident. Do I know if he did it? I have no idea. But the people who were held responsible, like they were just like, this looks like something that happens. So it just says accident. And I think we should point out when they have this group of people looking at the scene or whatever, they're not necessarily qualified to make that decision whatsoever. No, not at, at all. all. It's could be just a guy that works at the grocery store down the street that gets pulled right. in to do it. It's right. The people who do it are called a coroner's jury. And it's literally like a jury. It's people randomly pulled out of the county to come look at the body and make a decision. So they might know. Yeah. <laughs> but they might have no you idea. You might pull a doctor out or something that might have something useful to say. But for the most part, most people are probably going to just look at it and be like, oh. Yeah. So, so man, that's something that happens. Sawmills burn down. People drown. It happens. Um, there's strange stories. Like he claimed that he worked as a stunt double in a Hollywood movie. There's no evidence whatsoever that this <laughs> happened, but he would tell people that. So there's just all kinds of just random weird things. I think the obvious question to ask, obviously this guy is from Wisconsin, resided in Wisconsin. So yes. there's a tie there. But how did you ever get turned on to this story to decide to write a book about it? Okay. So. That's a great question. Thank you. This is how this works. Anytime I'm researching something, you always end up with just a massive amount of stuff that you don't use. So while you're researching the mafia, you're going to find other things. And one of them is like people who would smuggle alcohol across the Great Lakes from Canada. And whether Dan did that or not, I don't know. It's hard to say. He was active during the right time period, so he could have, but he was never caught. So I don't want to speculate on that. But either way, When you're reading about this, his name will pop up. Like people will be like, oh, other great things that happened out there in Lake Michigan, Dan (laughs) Seavey. And, you know, so I'm curious. So I look into it and there isn't much out there. And then I find there's one other book on Dan. And I use book very loosely because it's 19 pages. (laughs) And it's not that it's a bad book, but it's 19 pages. Yeah. So I'm like, I think there's probably more than that. 
And so I looked and uh, yeah, there is more than that. I mean, my book's not huge, but it's like 150 pages. Yeah, that's just how anything happens with the way that I write books is I gather enough information where sooner or later that becomes the next topic. And a lot of times it's the mob, but if it's anything Wisconsin history, Wisconsin crime, it's going to end up on my radar sooner or later. So that's where CV came from. And the decision to write about this pirate as opposed to... He's credited as the only pirate. Yeah. I mean, there's some technical... There's That's a whole other story. Up in the same area, there was an... Well, there's still an island, but there was an island called Beaver Island. And Beaver Island was a Mormon colony, but it was a Mormon colony of Mormons who were kicked out of the Latter-day Saints Church. So these are like renegade Mormons. Okay. They would do their own little version of piracy. They weren't sailing around doing things. But if you came too close to their island, they would confiscate your stuff. (laughs) Is Beaver Island something now or is it basically just a abandoned island, I guess? There might be some people there, but it's not. It's not like a... It's not a major attraction attraction or anything. anything Very cool. Well, thank you, everybody. I'm Eric Walterkins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. Peace.